I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week, we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together, you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. Oh, well, I hope you're having just a great day. Uh, it's been a good week. I mean, we had the, the Cubs who won the, the World Series for the first time in 108 years, right? Uh, Jesus has not yet come back, although many people expected it right after that event. Uh, but we had a, a beautiful respite from, um, from politics for just a little bit of time. Uh, one, we had a great show last week where we didn't talk about politics. Uh, two, the, it was great for my Facebook feed to be completely overrun by something other than politics, which it was during the uh, the Game 7 of the World Series. And let me tell you, I'm not uh, necessarily a, a sports fan. Uh, really, necessarily is not the appropriate word. I, I, I don't follow sports, not not in the slightest. Uh, I If I were to follow sports, I would not be a Cubs fan. And yet, <laughs> there was something about this game, these two underdog teams, one who hasn't won in several decades, the other who hasn't won in a century, uh, that, you know, it truly was the game of a century, right? And so we were able to participate in that and feel some camaraderie even as we had uh, some difference. You know, there were people out there, I'm sure, I don't know who they would be, but there were some people out there who were rooting for Cleveland. And then the rest of the civilized world was rooting for the true underdog. Uh, the, the 108 years without a, a title, the, uh, the Chicago Cubs, so now we've, we've passed that. We had our celebrations, and now we have just a few days left uh, until the election. And we can put all of this behind us. You know, there's still going to be some, probably some angst and all of the, the talk show hosts and radio, uh, talk radio, they're all good. They're going to have their continuing uh, fervor, as always. But we will have respite from the never-ending onslaught of, uh, of political commercials. They'll be past and gone, and we can watch our television in peace again. Uh, so I'm not really going to talk a whole lot about that today, just, uh, that, just to mention that the election is upcoming. Uh, but we are going to be talking about the pro-life movement, which a lot of people have politicized, and yet uh, this is a moral question and not a political question. It's a question of, do we value all human life or not? And, and I have to tell you, there's been a lot of conversation, even within the pro-life movement, that has limited that conversation uh, to abortion. They have so prioritized abortion that they, uh, that they ignore other areas of the dignity of human life. And that's troublesome. And, and so we're going to be talking uh, later in the show with Rebecca Bratton-Weiss and Matthew Tyler, who together have come up with uh, something that they're calling the new pro-life movement. We're going to talk a little bit about what that is and what the purpose of it is uh, as we get further into the show. But it is, uh, it is November. Yes, the, cl- the, the calendar has turned over. We're in November. And uh, no- November is a very special month for a number of reasons. Uh, one, we, we come to the end of 40 Days for Life. The closing rally uh, all across the United States is going to be on November 6th, uh, which is Sunday. It's tomorrow. Uh, and so go to 40daysforlife.com, find the one nearest you, and see what they've got planned for their, their closing event, and go and participate in that, that closing prayer service that they're going to have. Uh, the second thing is November is National Adoption Month. 
and uh, adoption is something that's very near and dear to my heart in the midst of that pro-life movement uh, because I came to understand and, and really subscribe to being pro-life through adoption. I grew up in the pro-life movement. I grew up going to uh, all the events that my church did, but it was when I was in the midst of an unplanned pregnancy uh, that I was the, the biological father. And we went through the process uh, separately, uh, her birth mother and I, of pursuing adoption. And she was adopted, and I had to sign the papers, and the birth mother had to sign the papers. And here I was, this little 17-year-old, barely 17-year-old, holding a two-day-old in my arms and spending time with her, uh, praying over her, singing uh, to her, and then signing papers, handing her over to someone else. That was the moment that that I really understood the, or, or began to more fully understand the value of that life. And so uh, today... My, uh, my biological daughter, my oldest, has turned 22, uh, and she's getting married in January, and Lord, uh, have mercy on me. <laughs> but this is a very, uh, it's a very emotional time for me as well because of, uh, of her impact on my life. Uh, even as we have had an open adoption and I've been able to, to be a part of her life, I get to go to the wedding. Uh, and these are things that bring me great joy, but it also uh, gives me a drive to, uh, to strive for society recognizing the value of every human life. So we're going to be talking about that uh, as we come up to the, the second and third segments, uh, talking about this new pro-life movement, which isn't, uh, at least I don't perceive it to be something to replace old movements, but it's, it's a, something to give focus to the way that we've done it and to realize that uh, it's easy to get so caught up in the ways that we fight for uh, the right to life that we can lose sight of the main purpose. We can, and we've seen that, I think, in this election where there have been a lot of people who have been very pro-life uh, and have fought to end abortion, and they've done good things. They've done excellent things to bring about the end of abortion as best as they can, but they've gotten so hyper-focused on that goal that they have missed, I think, some very other important things. Uh, and I'm reminded, uh, I've been very vocal about this on Facebook, but I'm, I'm reminded about um, the, the story of Abraham, right? Abraham was given a promise by God that he was going to have offspring. And here he is, he's getting older, and his wife is getting older, and he, he trusts God and he believes God, but he doesn't see how God is going to bring about the promise under the normal circumstances. And so through, through the urging of his wife, he decides that he has to help God out and help God in conniving and scheming and figuring out uh, the way to bring about God's promise. And so he jumps ahead and he, uh, he fathers a child with Hagar, his wife's uh, maidservant. And, and that son, Ishmael, uh, is the father of, of all of the Arab races, whereas Jacob is the father of the, the tribes of Israel, right? And so they fought and fought and still to this day fight uh, because Abraham thought that he knew better than God. And Abraham thought, well, I have to help God bring about his promise. And I tell you the truth, when we determine that the only way that God's will can be carried out is by us uh, scheming and plotting and being strategic, uh, then 
it, because God certainly couldn't do it in his own ways. We've got to help him. Then we're going to end up with an Ishmael, and an Ishmael always uh, lives in strife and conflict with the true will of God. And so we've got to be careful, as we, even as we pursue good ends, even as we pursue ends that God himself has given us, that we still do so in the way that he's prescribed, that we still uh, walk within the truth, walk within the shelter of, of God in, in that process. Uh, I saw an interesting article by Ed Stetzer, who is a, a Protestant, but he talked about how, uh, how it is that Americans haven't just, American Christians haven't just said, listen, we've got bad choices and um, we don't like these choices, but we feel that uh, X candidate is better than a Y candidate. I'll just tell you what, what, what he said. He said that we've been saying, well, we haven't been saying, well, Trump is, is better than, than Hillary. And so we have to, as much as we don't want to do this, this is how we're voting. The trend has been for American Christians to actually change their beliefs and say, no, what Trump is doing is right. Uh, and, and I find that so terribly problematic because we see in Trump, uh, as we see in the other candidates out there, as we see in Hillary Clinton as well, we see this complete disregard of the, the way of God. Right, we see corruption. We see uh, the devaluing of the human person. We see a number of things, and it's one thing for us to, in our well-formed conscience, determine uh, that to lessen a greater evil, we're going to vote for one or the other, or a third party. Uh, it's an entirely different thing to say, uh, "Well, those things aren't quite as important anymore. God doesn't care quite as much anymore." And so, in order to bring about God's will, I'm going to approve of. The things that are going on. And the church gives us very stark warnings, specifically when approaching a candidate who supports a grave evil. And frankly, both of our candidates currently do. Uh, it, it gives us a grave warning when we approve of those things, when we vote for them because of those grave evils. And so I want to encourage you as we have these last couple of days towards the election, spend some time in prayer and say, God, uh, help me to, to vote accordingly. Help me to, to vote according to your will. Help me to put you first, to put your kingdom first. Remember, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added to you. And so you may still end up with the same vote, right? I'm not saying that you need to go out and change your vote. You may still end up with the same vote, but doing it with the, the proper intention uh, can make all the difference between you having culpability for that action and not. So uh, I've spent all of this time, uh, almost the whole segment, talking about that. Uh, we're going to continue talking about the pro-life movement, the new pro-life movement, uh, and what that could look like and how, uh, by changing our focus just a little bit, we can actually bring a greater impact uh, to ensuring that our society values all human life from conception to natural death. Uh, why don't you join the conversation over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handle is at outside the walls. I look forward to hearing what you have to say. I'm sure that you've got some strong opinions about this because everyone does. Uh, so we'll continue right after this break. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Thanks for sticking through the break. 
glad to have you here today. Well, uh, this is our this is our last political conversation of the uh, of the season, right? We're coming towards the end of the election cycle. Uh, if you if you believe most of the media, uh, this is the time to vote, right? Tuesday, November eighth. If you if you believe Donald Trump, it's November twenty eighth. That's I think what he said. Uh, but no, it is November eighth is the time to vo- to vote. And so uh, just here at the at the last tail end of the political season, I thought I'd get in one more good political show. Uh, so we're going to talk about that that thing that matters to all of us voters, all of us who are voting with Catholic principles, and that is uh, the, the pro-life issue. I grew up around the pro-life uh, movement uh, my, my whole life. And so I, I was very... Uh, tuned in to, to doing pro-life activities, the life chain, 40 days for life, all these different things. Uh, and last year around this time, we talked with my, uh, my biological daughter who was adopted. Uh, and so we talked about the importance of adoption as part of that pro-life movement and how that even impacted me. Uh, and so here we have uh, a, an election cycle where the pro-life cause is both uh, supremely important and sadly obfuscated from both of our main political parties. It's it does not have uh, the importance or the clout that it once did, and so I see a lot of people who are really struggling with what to do. Uh, and in the midst of this conversation, across my Facebook feed, across my Pathos blog feed, uh, I see this thing called the New Pro Life Movement. Uh, put together largely by Matthew Tyson, who blogs at the the mackerel snapper on Pathios, and uh, by Rebecca Bratton-Weiss, who blogs at Suspended in Her Jar over on the Pathios Network. And I, I'm pleased to have both of them here with me today uh, via satellite or so something along the lines. So, Rebecca, Matthew, thanks for being here today. Well, thanks for having Thank us. Thank you for excited. having me. So let's start with you, Rebecca. Um, what brought you to a place where uh, you you began to think it was necessary to crystallize an idea and a movement rather than just holding these uh, uh, these thoughts uh, in in your own mind or in conversations, but actually creating a new pro life movement to crystallize that as something significant, as something substantial. Well, um, it was something that was developing in my head for a long time because, as a pro life feminist, I'm trying to pay attention to both the fundamental right to life and the rights of women. And it seems as though we have one political side that's interested in defending one legally. And then we have another political side that's interested in uh, creating support systems for the other, but neither seem to be looking at the whole picture. But what really crystallized this all for me was when all of a sudden all of these pro-life leaders came in behind Donald Trump and you know, I've followed Trump's career for a long time, and I've found him to be a, a vile character. Mm-hmm. Oh, I pray for his conversion. That doesn't mean he needs to be our president right. or anywhere around women. And even <laughs> after it came out that he was openly boasting about sexual assault, people just waved this away. And I thought this is terrible for those of us who have worked for so long to say being pro-life does not mean being anti-women. Mm-hmm. Being pro-life means we want to support women and their babies. And now all of a sudden we have this massive disregard for uh, female dignity, uh, 
bodily autonomy, et cetera, and a lot of very deeply triggered sexual assault victims. Mm -hmm. So I just thought it's, you know, I'm done. I'm done with this. Time for something new. Well, it's interesting to me because I've seen lately uh, between uh, Charlie Camosi's new book, uh, Beyond the Abortion Wars, uh, I've even seen some bumper stickers um, from, I think, Students for Life or something along those lines that says, love them both, right, or choose both. Uh, and right. and yet you're you're bringing to the forefront that really politically uh, we haven't seen that done. No. So Matthew, not by either side. Matthew, you're on the kind of the other spectrum. You're you're well, you're uh, south, right? You're yeah. you're in the middle of of uh, Alabama. May God have mercy on your soul. Uh, and <laughs> hey, I like it here. It's it's a nice place to live when we actually. Get here. It's just uh, you know we do have our problems. We do. So now you, you are, you are uh, the epitome of what everyone says: the pro-life movement. You know that you're you're a white male, right? Mm-hmm. Young, but you're young, so that you've got that mm-hmm. going for you. But you're bald, so it's halfway to runs old, in the family. Old old white <laughs> old white male. So talk to me. What was your path to getting into this? needing to crystallize something substantial, making an actual new movement rather than just having positions that diverge from what's existing? Uh, I think it's, well, for me, one of, one of the places where it starts is um, <clears throat> one of the things that I think uh, a lot of people, a lot of Catholics, a lot of uh, politically or socially active Catholics, and um, even a lot of writers on uh, Pathios, uh um, are, are unwilling to do is to identify themselves as someone who is decidedly left wing. And I am, I mean, I'm very open about the fact that I sit on the left, left end of the uh, spectrum. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have for a long time, but at the same time, uh, I, you know, I am Catholic and, um, I do, I always did have a, uh, um, uh, uh, I was always pro-life regardless of where my politics went. I still remain pro-life. And, um, you know, there was a, uh, I came across the Democrats for Life a few years ago, who I um, am still involved with and still love, but I, um, uh, I don't know, I, I guess I saw that, they, like, like Rebecca said, there was, a, there was sort of a big gap uh, in between the way that the, the pro-life movement handled things, uh, the more political, the more political they got is almost like the less, uh, the more right they went mm-hmm. more than anything else, and it seemed like there were so many people out there who they were alienating. And there was this whole world of, um, of, of, of ideology and an approach to, um, you know, uh, eradicating abortion. And of course, not just abortion too, which, you know, is, is, is a lot what we do with, but right. I just thought there was a lot that was being missed. Um, and, but at the same time, you know, here I am, this, this, this openly left-wing person who's also um, pro-life primarily when it comes to abortion. And it was like, there's, I don't know. They just feel like there wasn't very much representation. It's either you're either, you know, a, a left-wing pro-choice person mm-hmm. or you're a right-wing pro-lifer. And that's, um, there had to be something else to, uh, to represent the people who didn't fit necessarily into either one of those camps. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah. Something that I have uh, noticed probably, well, I was the director of, of Respect Life for the Diocese of Tulsa for four years. And something that I watched play out 
uh, is the result of the politicization of the abortion conversation. Mm-hmm. Once it becomes a, a political conversation, it really ceases to be uh, a moral conversation. We can't mm-hmm. really give it the uh, the moral weight because, hey, we've got to stay with our, our party, party politics. Sure. We've got to support our party. Right. Uh, and and I've been frustrated by that, but I've also been frustrated because it seems like both sides really aren't all that interested politically in making any change in abortion. Rather, they use abortion as a means to to stir up their base, to stir up uh, donations, to stir yeah. up uh, appearance at the poll, and not really to to bring valid uh, solutions to the table. Now, I will say that you see more solutions handled at a state level than you do federal, but even there, I've seen state legislatures uh, avoid certain bills um, that would do great uh, help uh, just because that keeps it in the political arena. And now it's still a fight to be fought. Um, so th- this is something, Rebecca, you mentioned in one of your pieces the other day that uh, you see people talking about, well, we can't be pro-life in the way you're suggesting because that would give more power to a political party that we oppose. So talk to me a little bit about what you've encountered there. Um, It's this bizarre ideological commitment, which anyone who's studied even briefly the history of political ideas should find really amusing because the parties change so much. Mm -hmm. So loyalty to the Republicans uh, essentially has no meaning mm-hmm. uh, because the Republicans have changed every decade. Uh, having that little pro-life label on their platform, uh, I guess, is a way of encouraging loyalty from a certain demographic. But it ends up being the case that genuinely pro-life issues, while great for rhetoric, don't seem to be very important as ultimate causes. And when someone can come right out and say, you know, not even defending life is worth getting on board with Democrats, Mm -hmm. I find that very strange, especially because if, as a Catholic, I believe in unity, even in the midst of all of this conflict. And if we're going to allow American politics, of all things, to shatter that unity, I, I don't think that's a viable Catholic perspective, and I don't think it's a viable pro-life perspective to to put a mere party in before the value of life and before the value of women's rights. Well, it seems like this has been something that has been uh, becoming more difficult as time goes on, as the parties uh, have become more polarized to their sides of the conversation, whereas there was a time in the not-too-distant past uh, where Bills across the aisle were kind of a regular thing, uh, and yet mm-hmm. as we've as we've gone on, we've basically identified ourselves by these key issues and said, "Well, I, I can't be soft on this, or I can't be hard on this, because that would make me look like I'm with you know those other people." Mm-hmm. When we come back, we're going to talk about the ten pillars of the new pro life movement, kind of a manifesto put together by Rebecca and Matthew. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what it looks like, what the controversial aspects of this new pro-life movement are. You can find more information about them over at facebook.com slash new pro-life movement. On Twitter, they ha- their handle is at new PLM. Uh, and all of their articles and whatnot are linked right there. You can find out all that information and more. In the meantime, why don't you come over to my Facebook? Uh, let's have a conversation. Facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. 
Talk to me about what you see the most important things are for the pro-life movement moving forward. How do we make a difference? We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls. Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Glad to have you here today as we are approaching the election, just a couple more days, and uh, and you'll have to go into a ballot box and and check off for somebody. Uh, you can leave certain races blank if you so desire, but, you know, I encourage you, even if you, uh, you have a, a bad taste in your mouth about this election, uh, the election is more than the president. There are so many uh, things that are on the ballot that you need to go and vote. Even if you abstain from a specific uh, question on that ballot, you need to go and vote uh, because that is, you know, as, as Chesterton said, keep your politics as local as possible so you can kick your politicians when you need to. Uh, make sure that you vote for those, those local elections, those local races. So we're here talking with, uh, with Matthew Tyson and Rebecca Bratton-Weiss about the new pro-life movement, uh, something that they have really put together in the last uh, month or so as, uh, as we've seen the, the old pro-life movement kind of capitulate to, to things that they would 10 years ago have been horrified by, uh, specifically the positions of, of Donald Trump. Um, and, and of course, I know that I play on some, uh, some nonprofit stations, and so I am not advocating any politician. I'm not telling you who to vote for. I'm telling you, form your conscience, use the bishop's letter, uh, and not not somebody's summary of the bishop's letter. Go to the USCCB's website. Uh, in fact, I'll put a link to this on our social media as well. There is a, something like a 42-page document. Yes, it's going to take some time. Forming your conscience generally does. Uh, it's going to take some time to look through all of these issues uh, of pro-life. Because what is the pro-life movement uh, and what is the basis of this new pro-life movement? It's this, that there's two great commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so this love your neighbor as yourself begins at conception, but it goes all the way to natural death and everything in between. And so the pro-life movement, as it's put out here in these, these 10 pillars, uh, cover all of that. It talks about the right to life and abortion. It talks about women's rights and justice. It talks about euthanasia, our responsibility to when we engage in war, to do so according to the principles of just war. Talks about the death penalty, health care, poverty, gun violence, all of these things that are part and parcel of what the bishops tell us all the time, uh, but we don't like to hear it. We, we relegate the bishops to being uh, either liberal or, uh, you know, they're, they're corrupted, and yet really they're not being political. They're being true to the faith, and it just so happens that our politics— often get in the way. So again, we're talking with Rebecca Bratton-Weiss and Matthew Tyson of the new pro-life movement. Thanks for being with us today. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Thank we're you. So let's talk a little bit about the most controversial aspect uh, of the, the new pro-life movement. I'm going to put these the, these articles, these 10 pillars up on our Facebook, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. And on Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. You can find the link there. But in this, you talk about uh, pursuing uh, pursuing answers to the problem of uh, the demand for abortion, whereas uh, much of the pro-life movement has been uh, aimed at legislation 
that deals with the supply of abortion, uh, making it, uh, putting uh, some things that I think are very positive, uh, making these places be uh, up to surgical standards, ambulatory surgical standards for the safety of women. Uh, But you're going after a different angle, and you've gotten some pushback on this. So um, tell me a little bit about the pushback you've gotten and what your response is briefly. Um, well, I mean, you know, a lot of the pushback comes from people who, you know, they read it and they're like, okay, this is great. We like this, but what about, you know, they, they still want to focus on certain aspects of legislation. And I think the number one thing that needs to be that we've talked about that uh, really needs to be stated is that like, just because we're focused on demand doesn't mean that we're necessarily neutral in all aspects um, of, of legislation. I mean, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of plenty fine uh, pro-life legislation that I don't think we would be um, neutral on that we would, that we would support. But the, the, our focus as, as the new pro-life movement is to put more emphasis on demand because of the fact that uh, like we've talked about before, if you get rid of all the supply, you know, that's fine, but that doesn't take away from the fact that a, a great majority of women are getting abortions because of the fact that it would have a very negative impact on their life, which doesn't just mean they would be inconvenienced. It means that right. they might lose their job. It means that, it means that they might have to take a, a hit on their income. It means, uh, you know, that they might not have a support system to help them uh, through the pregnancy and through, through raising a child. Well, let's be uh, clear. You talk about it may impact their income. Uh, mm-hmm. And some of us hear that and think, oh, gosh, you're going to take a little bit less home. But for some of these people, they're already in the red with the income that they have. Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, and, and not only that, but like, you know, if you, you have to think about the fact that you have to, you know, you've got doctor's visits. you got to take time off of work. Once you have the child, you're out, you know, for what, six weeks. And, and really, that's that's even a ridiculously low amount of time to be at home with your child in the first place. Right. Um, it should be more than that. Um, I think most of the countries recognize that, but, um, so, you know, you have a lot of things that, that, you know, you have women that look at this and, or, you know, the other side of it too, is that they, they're, they're already in poverty, mm-hmm. uh, and they, 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 and they thought, and they literally can't afford it and they can't do it. So a lot, you know, a lot of times you're talking about someone who really doesn't feel like they actually have a choice. I know the word is pro-choice, but it feels like they don't actually have a choice. They right. feel like this is something I have to do in order to protect my livelihood, in order to make sure the rest of my family is okay, in order to make sure that we don't starve or, mm-hmm. you know, to make sure this baby is going to be healthy. A lot of them don't have access to healthcare or childcare or anything like that. So that's, that's where, that's where we're trying to put our focus because we see that as a much more comprehensive approach to being pro-life. Yeah. You know, we're trying to hit all of these things. So we're talking with uh, Matthew Tyson and Rebecca Bratton-Weiss of the new pro-life movement. You know, uh, people forget abortion didn't spring up in a vacuum. Uh, it, it came uh, not just on the scene, and where did this come from in, in 19, uh, 1972? There were things that precipitated this, and, and those attitudes and those uh, circumstances need to be alleviated uh, really before uh, changing anything about abortion makes a difference. You know, people talk about, well, the great pro-life victory is overturning Roe v. Wade, but in honesty, overturning Roe v. Wade just puts it back to the states, and a great majority of the states would continue as things are today. And so 
overturning Roe v. Wade is nothing more, I think, than a symbolic victory uh, that that won't actually make a, a huge change in the way that our culture is today. So I want to turn over uh, to Rebecca. I want to talk to you about this idea of uh, the not supporting women in the midst of this, uh, the, the, the cost of child care, the lack of, uh, of maternity leave, which I, we're the only industrialized nation without paid maternity leave. Oh, yeah, it's embarrassing. So talk to me about what, what is this going to look like? What does it mean to support women uh, to reduce the demand? Well, uh, I think we have to imagine when we talk about an unwanted child, um, we're looking at a child who is not necessarily unwanted by the mother. We're looking at a, a child who's unwanted by the entire system in which she lives because our system is geared towards efficiency, utilitarianism, uh, the rich getting richer. Um, and so people don't want to do the things that would be necessary for a woman to be able to stay home and care for her child in a safe and secure way. Uh, I, what I try to imagine as the ideal is if I think of uh, a woman who is able to be a stay-at-home mother and the experience that she has with her children, which is often a very joyful one, but even then can be stressful because it's exhaustion and postpartum depression. And those are the conditions that we should strive to make available for every woman. She ought to be able to be at home safe uh, with medical care for herself and for her child, for people there to help her when she's tired. Uh, and so that means you know, we need to have uh, medical coverage for everyone. We need to have paid parental leave. We need to have a safe housing for women. Uh, we need to ensure a, a just wage for parents so that they can have this. And a lot of women who uh, have lived in relatively privileged situations simply don't understand how a woman could be so, you know, unmotherly as to consider killing her child, as I put it. And I think they don't realize what incredible difficulty it is to be pregnant, working a low-income job, no support in a dangerous situation, uh, environmental dangers. Uh, uh, if you live in a, a neighborhood that has a lot of violence, if you don't have access to good food for your children, if you already have health conditions, mm -hmm. that's huge. Uh, so all of this needs to happen because otherwise, even if Roe v. Wade were to be overturned, um, and even if uh, the states didn't somehow come up with a way of, of overriding this, all of these injustices still exist. And, and these are real, real situations that uh, even if you don't care about the women, uh, and I hope everyone does, the idea of a child growing up in these circumstances is something we ought to try to remedy. Well, and I think it's important to remember that this is our responsibility as Christians. We're to be uh, reflections and ambassadors for Christ. And Christ, who is Christ but uh, the one who reconciles, the one who makes a way for us, the one who brings healing. Uh, and, and what you're describing here are the corporal acts of mercy, caring for those who, who cannot care for themselves. Uh, and so I think that this is just vitally important for us to remember is that this is more than just political. This is our obligation 
obligation. I'd like to take you all through to the next break. We're going to continue this conversation with Rebecca Rottenweiss and Matthew Tyson of the new pro-life movement. Uh, Just after this break, you can find out more information about them over at facebook.com slash new pro-life movement or on Twitter. The handle is at new PLM. We're going to continue this conversation, but why don't you come over and converse with me? Facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handle is at outside the walls. A pro-life movement is near and dear to my heart. So I'm really curious about what you think about this new pro-life movement and how it affects the old one. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I am your host, Timothy Putnam, and we are talking about controversial things today because what's more fun than that? Right before an election than to talk about controversial things. We're talking with Matthew Tyson and Rebecca Bratton-Weiss, who together have uh, have put together this new pro-life movement. You can find them over at Twitter, at New PLM, or on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash new pro-life movement. Uh, so we've talked a little bit about the the ten pillars. We've got that linked on our social media, and we've talked about the fact that you're focusing on diminishing the demand for abortion, mm-hmm. and and not focusing as much on diminishing the supply, which has been really kind of a big thing in the pro life movement for the last forty years. Uh, but you know, I I grew up doing the the walk for life where or the the life chain where you held up the signs, and and, and I tell you. What I've noticed in recent years is there are many different ways to approach the question of abortion. And and I think that there are many different ways to approach a pro-life ideology. And and we don't necessarily uh, need to quit doing everything we've ever done in order to start these new things. But I think that the new pro-life movement is important in that it reminds us and focuses us on the fact that there is a consistent ethic of life that we've got to look at. And some people have said, well, the consistent ethic of life is just a way to say that all these things are important, therefore abortion's not really as important. Uh, you know, you're saying I shouldn't get worked up about abortion because I should get worked up about the poor. Whereas I look at it and say, no, we're not saying that. You should be every worked Every bit as worked up about abortion as you are today, but you should be that worked up about the poor as well. Absolutely. That it's not taking away from abortion. It's rather saying this is how you should feel about all of these issues that affect life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there are people that are going to be out there and they're going to focus on diminishing supply. There's lots of folks out there that are doing that. What we need today is precisely what you're doing, and that's putting a focus on diminishing demand, uh, bringing about these issues, waking the church up to these issues, waking society up to these issues so that we can actually make a difference and get out of our polarized state that we're in. So uh, last uh, last thoughts, um, how would someone find out more about the new pro-life movement and in what ways could they begin now being involved? You know, right now, I think that, you know, the main thing that we're trying to do is a lot of uh, evangelizing for a word. Um, you know, we we want to make connections uh, with people. We want them to read what we have to say. Uh, we want to make connections with other people who are actually out there in the trenches doing this work. 
uh, organizations that are out trying to help women, help children, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I mean, if you want to be involved, um, I mean, the simplest way to do it is just follow us and share, you know, share our stuff, uh, send it to somebody who you think might be interested in uh, reading it, spread the word around, you know, right now it's very much, uh, I don't like the word necessarily using the word intellectual, but it is in, in, in that sense, it's very much like an, an intellectual movement. Uh, it's, a, it's a very uh, ideological movement. We're just trying to, we're trying to pry open some people's brains and just kind of get them to think about uh, abortion and life in general as a much more complex, uh, comprehensive thing. I mean, you, we talk about, you know, every life is precious. Uh, if, if, if you start from that perspective, then, then it opens up a whole new world of, of, of things you have to look into. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, a lot of people want to say, don't, you know, yes, all those other things are important, but, you know, abortion is the most important right now because of, you know, yada, yada, yada. And, and, you know, we're not trying to take away uh, from abortion, but we just want other people to respect life with the same veracity that they go after abortion. We want them to look at everything uh, from, from, like I said, from conception, natural death. We want them to see every single life as precious. Follow that to its natural conclusion. Exactly. Exactly. We want people to take every instance they can to protect life everywhere, to avoid killing in every situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rebecca, last thoughts. Um, yeah. One thing, uh, two things actually that I would love to have input on from people, anyone who's listening or following us on Facebook, I would love to have an opportunity to collect information on these grassroots groups that are out there providing the services to women that are needed. And some of these may not even be, you know, specifically pro-life groups, simply charitable groups. Some may be Catholic, some may be secular, some may also be focusing on eliminating supply. So I would love to have a database where we can point to these groups and say, these are the ones that should be supported and these are the ones you can go to. And I would also love to collect information on any bills or legislation going through uh, on any level that would serve to provide these uh, women and families with the safety net that they need. So anyone who uh, has information on that, if you send me your information and I will add you to the database. Great. Well, we're going to put all their information up on social media. You can find that over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. Uh, we've been talking with Matthew Tyson and Rebecca Bratton Weiss of the new pro-life movement. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Again, you can find all their information over at facebook.com slash new pro-life movement or over on Twitter. The handle is at new PLM. Uh, and you can find all the links to all their other stuff there. I encourage you to go take a look at what they have already up and uh, keep following them to see what comes in the future. Now, a couple of other things here. I, I loved this. Uh, came across my feed, came from the Catholic News Agency, uh, and it was from November 2nd, All Souls Day. And Archbishop Gomez preached a red mass, which is the mass for those uh, legal professionals, lawyers, judges, and so forth. And uh, and I loved this because here he was. Of course, Archbishop Gomez is the uh, the archbishop of the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, but he was actually uh, preaching this mass in uh, in San Antonio, I think. And this is what he says. He said, uh, "We're we're becoming a society with no mercy." And it's because we no longer see the sanctity and great dignity of the human person. However, the next president isn't going to change the way society treats religion or the human person. Uh, Instead, it's individuals, he says, that are going to impact the future more than a political party. He says no matter who is president, no matter what party is in power, uh, we are not going to restore religious values from above. 
Rather, uh, it's going to come from every person's identity who is founded in Christ and not from their political affiliation. And this, this is the heart of everything I've been saying this whole political season. So if I've said it poorly, uh, listen to the Archbishop, because he says it so much better. He says, if we want America to be greater, then we need men and women like you and like me who are committed to serving God and living their faith in every aspect of their lives. If we want a society that promotes virtue and justice and human dignity, if we want leaders who reflect these values, then we need to become leaders and role models in our society. And and I love this because here he is on All Souls Day, just following All Saints Day, and he says, uh, if we, if our country and our world will be renewed, it's not by politics, but by saints. And that means that you, and that means me. Uh, and if we want a greater America, we need to become, by the grace of God, greater saints. I just absolutely love that. That This is what Pope John Paul said all the time. Be a saint. That's you. Be a saint. And it seems like something that's difficult, and it seems we have these pictures of saints that, that are so holy and removed. And I think that's why it's important to read the lives of the saints. Uh, you can do that really easily uh, by going to Catholic. I think it's Catholic.org. There's that, that whole uh, daily saint. Who's the saint of the day? And the, what the lives of the saints teach us is that these saints were human, and they had failings, and they had problems, and yet they lived heroic virtue. And if they could do it, then you and I can do it. And the way that we change our society is not by putting our faith in politics or politicians. The way we change our society is by you and by me becoming saints. So we, we, that's going to be our reading from church history. It's very recent history. It's just this last week, uh, but it's from Archbishop Gomez, one of the, one of the uh, successors to the apostles. Uh, I, I do want to just read this, uh, this beautiful from today. It's the psalm of the day, and I think as we go into the election, this is just a really excellent uh, meditation to have in our hearts, even as we go into the voting booth. And this is the responsorial psalm for today, and it says, Blessed the man uh, or woman, uh, blessed the man who fears the Lord. Blessed the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commands. His posterity shall be mighty upon the earth. The upright generation shall be blessed. Blessed the man who fears the Lord. Well for the man who is gracious and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. He shall never be moved. The just one shall be in everlasting remembrance. Blessed the man who fears the Lord. His heart is steadfast. He shall not fear. Lavishly he gives to the poor. His generosity shall endure forever. His horn shall be exalted in glory. Blessed the man who fears the Lord. And this is what it's all about. This is what it's all about. That we live lives, saintly lives, that make a difference. Now, if this show has made a difference in your life, I want to encourage you, go over to my website, OutsideTheWalls.com. There you're going to find links to all my social media. You're going to find all the archives of this show going all the way back. Uh, we're nearing our second year, nearing the second year anniversary. I think that's uh, just either next week or the week after. Uh, and so we've got all those archives up there. 
But then there's also this section called friend of the show. And the friends of the show are the people who love this show or maybe who just kind of like it, but they like it as much as they like a morning cup of coffee. Because for the price of two coffees uh, a month, $10 a month, you become eligible for giveaways, for uh, specific exclusive content that's just yours, and you help support and make sure that this show continues uh, for years and years. Well, I can't wait to, to join you next week for next week's show for one very important reason, uh, because I'm going to be done talking about politics. Hey, how awesome is that? We get to look at the foundations and implications of our faith in a way that's not quite as uncomfortable in the days to come. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Outside the Walls is a co-production of Breadbox Media and St. Michael Radio, heard around the world on live streaming, terrestrial radio, and podcast. Join us over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. This joy just keeps going all week long. Until then, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.